My pitch changed. It wasn't just tell, you know, tell the story of my niece, I need to find her. It was like, why the hell are you ignoring my niece's story? She became really a symbol of what Gwen Eiffel, the great uh, Gwen Eiffel, uh, late great, uh, termed missing white woman syndrome. And it's kind of this damsel in distress and, you know, a whole nation has to come to her rescue. And that sort of compassion, that sort of um, interest just is not afforded to young black women. demo baby um <laughs> this is alabama politics this week i am josh moon the other person you hear giggling is david person it's, it's the caveats it's all the caveats uh, you know the weekly podcast you know <laughs> uh, listen, it's like oh, alabama the, uh, politics uh, uh, it's like every pretty much every week i'll get an email from somebody a friend or somebody who's written a book and uh, they're like hey listen and we're number one in amazon among young readers in iowa you know it's just like, <laughs> you know, how much more limited can you be right. uh, but yeah it's you know listen i understand that it, this is our market this is our this market. Is we're we're, we're looking for, for people interested in Alabama politics that aren't that interested to want it every day, but enough interested that you'll listen every week right. at least. So uh, and, we're, we're doing well in that particular and, market. And the way I see it, the way things are shaping up with uh, with the, the some of these elections, uh, the midterms, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the role that Alabama plays even in national politics related to some of these elections and also to the the ongoing issues with the former president. I think people should be what paying attention to Alabama politics. There's a lot. I'm not saying it's quite reading the tea leaves, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here that that resonates throughout the nation. Oh, there, there's no doubt. That's uh, you know, I, I said uh, a few years ago that uh, uh, the election of Trump was going to bring on the Alabamization of America. Yep. And uh, and I yep. think that that proved to, to be accurate. Uh, the because I, I I literally said the y'all are not prepared for the amount of stupid government that you're about to get because there's going to be a whole new level of stupid government. And by God, we delivered on that stupid government promise. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, you know I think you're right about that. And so yeah. well, you know, listen, tell your friends, bring them in, bring them yeah. in, spread this thing around as much as we can. Um, there you go. Yeah, it's um all right. So I guess to open this thing up because we're not going to talk a whole lot today. We're gonna gonna have some special guests mm-hmm. that are trying to poach my co-host from me. <laughs> uh, I had a bone to pick with Eric, Miss Eric Alexander, about this. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> well, that's a commitment. That's a Kevin Durant like commitment. That's no. a James Harden commitment. That's what that no. is. Uh, that's a, if, uh, if I tell you what, if David if, if David shows up uh, fat with an ankle injury next week, we know what's coming. <laughs> He's about to James Harden the hell out of us. Demand a trade somewhere. 
<laughs> That's hilarious, man. Uh, but uh, no, we're so we're going to talk to the um, um, we're going we're going to uh, talk to them about the podcast you guys are working on uh, yeah. and uh, finding Tamika. Is that yeah, finding Tamika launching today? Actually, Ooh, look yeah. at that! Really look at that! Look at that! That's that. That Thursday. Thursday launching. Well, today, which it is actually Thursday. launches tomorrow. Well, no, it's, it is today. Yeah, it launches today. Yeah, Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I say, like me, you just forget yeah. what day of week it is every now and then. Yeah, so, yeah, because we're right, in that uh, yes. podcast. So you so. know what? That we're going to talk to all these fine people, uh, yeah. and you don't get to hear as much from us, which is probably a good thing. We should make. We've discussed having three guests on to fill all three segments. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have even less to do, but uh, but we're going to start um, with. Uh, all right, so this week I wrote a column mm-hmm. about. Russia and Republicans and the way they have behaved towards Russia. Republicans, I'm speaking of, uh, towards Russia over the past six years or so, Um, you know, and pretending as though, oh, Vladimir Putin was was no real threat. He's just a guy. You know, he's just a guy who's rich. You know, he's our, you know, why should we hate him? As Tucker Carlson asked, why should I hate Vladimir Putin? You know, why? He doesn't do anything to me personally. Uh, but, uh, so this is what they, they've done over the past several years. And then as the war in Ukraine began, there were a number of Republicans who were still on this. Well, listen, Russia's got a right to do uh, X and Russia's doing this. And, uh, why I'm rooting for Russia said Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. their spokesperson, that mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin is a genius. He's so smart the way he's doing this, said the undisputed leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump. That's right. And, yeah. uh, and so I noticed a number of people that were agreeing with those guys. And so I said something on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, which I should probably have Twitter taken away from me at some point. But um, the and I got a response back from our lieutenant governor in this mm. state, Will Ainsworth. Your boy. Uh, as you know. <laughs> Your boy. Right, right. The lieutenant governor under under David's girl, Kay Ivey. Um, and, uh, <laughs> okay, touche, touche. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, I, in all honesty, I do like Will. I like Will, and I'll tell you the reason I like Will is even though he and I disagree on things, um, and much as with uh, Dick Brubaker and with John Merrill, uh, when you disagree with Will on things, Will calls you. And says, "Hey, let's talk about this." And mm. we we don't solve any problems, but we're usually laughing by the end of the phone call. Okay, mm. so uh, I, I think Will tries to be a good person. I believe he's misguided in a lot of his beliefs. Uh, he believes I'm misguided in a lot of mine, but <laughs> I think that the intent is is there, and that he he wants to genuinely hear what you have to say. So okay. that's the reason I like Will Ainsworth. Mm. Uh, that said. He came and uh, on the Twitter and, and responded to me and said, uh, that's nonsense. There is no Republican that I know rooting for Russia. And I said, Will, how, in the, how is it possible for you to say that? You know right. Donald Trump. I've seen pictures of you with Donald Trump. You know good right. and well Donald Trump is rooting for Russia. You, I, I've, I, I know that you watch Tucker Carlson because I hear you talk and you sound like Tucker Carlson sometimes. <laughs> and so... There's no way that, that you haven't heard him rooting for Russia. So, uh, and then it was like, well, just two. And so then I pl- I sent him the video. Wait a minute. That- Did he actually say just two? 
Yeah, just two. So just two people. That's his response on Twitter. You can find the thread from I think it was but, last Sunday. And he said two, uh, just. But but these are two. These are the yeah. two most probably the two most prominent yep. Republicans in the world. Yes, Donald yes, Trump indeed. and Tucker Carlson through Fox News. Yeah, just yep. two. Well. But even even if that was your even if that was your uh, statement here, that's your position that it was only those two guys. Well, I sent him the video from the American First Political Action Conference or whatever it was, right. AFPAC, where the white nationalist speaker, a Holocaust denier, uh, starts talking about Russia and how Russia is doing God's work, basically. And hey, can we get a cheer for Russia? And they cheer literally the room full of people cheer Russia, and then start chanting Vladimir Putin's name. They start chanting Putin. Uh, so this is not this is not a, 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 an uncommon thing. This is and not something that's General not Flynn? happening. What about General Flynn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's it's an, just... He's been another Putin Russian champion. God, was it the national... What, what is Ainsworth talking about? Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think that... I'll tell you exactly what happened, and I wrote, this was the basis of my column that I wrote, is... Yeah. It's a good column, too. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They, they, they never see it coming. They never see it coming. They get involved in their own little personal interest. Uh, you know, they get involved in their own political beliefs on things. Uh, they've taken Russia's side, I believe, specifically because Russia helped Donald Trump, and they yes. know it. Uh, and, I mean, for God's sakes, listen, you can talk about collusion, uh, but let me explain for everybody. The reason there was not collusion between Donald Trump and Russia is because under the statutes, under the law, the collusion has to be started by the people in the American. Uh, all right. They have to be an active participant in the collusion. They can't simply benefit from whatever illegal act is taking place. So when the Russians hacked the servers or when the Russians stole the materials from Hillary Clinton and then gave stuff to Donald Trump, they can accept them. And it's not collusion. OK, uh, that's just the way it works. As but, long as but, they didn't go to them and say, hey, will you do this for us? Uh, well, then it's, it doesn't rise to that level. Well, what do we call what do we call what Trump did? Jeez, I, I really kind of hate that we're spending so much time talking about him, but this is relevant. It's relevant mm-hmm. right now for a couple of reasons that we can get into, hopefully, before we run out of time. But but I got to but I got to say, what do we call what he did when he literally stood behind a podium and said, Russia, if you're listening, <laughs> what the yeah. hell was that? Well, uh, if that's not uh, a colluse, if that's not an act of collusion, what yeah. is that? I man, I listen. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, and I think that there are now looking back and knowing what we know, going back and reading that uh, Mueller report. Uh, yeah. You see a lot of problems with some of the the conclusions that were reached and some of the things that were not investigated that absolutely should have been. Uh, but. You know, so I think what they they did with that was they did not take that as a serious request. Um, you know that they did not they did not take that as serious collusion with Russia, as though they were working with them. It was just a general statement that was made. Yeah, it's um, the spirit of collusion, even if it yeah. may not have been, you know, functional. Well, we know they took it. We know they took the help. We know they took the help yeah. from them. 
Uh, you know, yeah. and and listen, I, I'm I'm not a crazy person that thinks that, that this all happened, you know, and Russia stole the election for Donald Trump or something like, you know, the, the Clinton campaign didn't run a very good campaign. OK, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't reach out to a lot of people that they should have reached out to. They did zero work in the black community um, and, and they lost a lot of, of votes that they should have gotten. They made a ton of mistakes, but. They all the Trump campaign had over 100 contacts with Russian officials. Yeah. OK, yeah. Uh, 17, 17 Trump campaign officials had contact over 100 contacts with, with Russian officials. We know that it's documented. There's no disputing it. Uh, people in the campaign went to jail for what they did and then tried to cover up. And OK, that, that mm-hmm. this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's old news. But I think it like you said, it does play into currently what's going on, because a lot of these things helped to embolden Vladimir Putin along the last fi- five or six years yeah. uh, to the point where here we are. We've reduced sanctions. We've cut off aid to Ukraine. We've done all sorts of things during the Trump administration. You might forget that the first the very first impeachment for the twice impeached Donald go. Trump uh, was because he tried uh, you know, to to go and extort uh, Vla- uh, what, Zelensky, um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and you know the the Ukrainian president, and yeah, related to that, uh, trying to gin up uh, uh, f- false information on Biden. Yeah, and his, and his yeah. yeah, and his son, and the whole deal. Mm-hmm. They were trying to they were trying to get information out of him, and uh, you know, and trying to get him to to say these things. We need you to do us a favor. You know, this, this perfect phone call that uh, Donald Trump, as Donald Trump described it. And, uh, and, and and let's not also forget, Josh, that uh, Trump had that White House Oval Office meeting with the, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, I think it was a Russian ambassador, mm-hmm. and and uh, based on what we now understand. Uh, revealed classified information to him. Yeah, yeah. I took took the notes away from uh, took the notes away from the translator. Wouldn't let anybody uh, release really? what was said. Uh, you know it. Yeah. Listen, there were there were tons of of very bad things that happened here during the Trump administration related to Russia. Um, and so it's no surprise. When Russia starts invading, Trump's first response is, is, oh, what a genius move. Can you believe that he's so smart in doing this? Which I got to say, probably should have been Putin's first indication that he was doing the wrong thing. When Trump starts praising whatever your your plan is, you probably ought to think, well, maybe this is not the right thing to do. Right. Um, and right. and as, it, as it has turned out, it has been much more difficult than I think he envisioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they're having some real problems with uh, soldiers defecting and other things there. But so uh, so you know. so Trump spent his entire presidency giving Putin a lap dance. Let's just we concede that. Right. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah. Let's, but let's get back to, I think, the point of your column, which was while Trump was giving, even though he's no longer able to give Putin a lap dance, it sounds as though it seems as though many, many Republicans, including ones in this state, are willing to, to get on the stripper pole and join him. I mean, yeah, what, well, what is this about? Yeah, I, I think that you're, you're right. Well, the, now, though, see, now the public perception has started to turn. When, when, and this is the way it always works. This is the, this is the Ray Rice uh, elevator video uh, sort of uh, you know, uh, thing here where, you know, you can say this thing happened. But when you see this thing happen, it's a much different response and it's much more repulsive to people. So when you see Ukrainians, in their, you know, just living their lives in their cities that look a lot like our cities in, in many ways. you And you see bombs going off 
and you see bodies in the street and you hear the cries from these people. Well, that turns the stomach of 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 Americans. And um, and so there has been a very quick and visceral response uh, from the majority of Americans on both sides of the aisle uh, to this. So much so that a lot of people who have spent the last several years cozying up to Russia are now trying to make the claim that no, Russia, I've always hated Russia. Russia, you get the, oh no, I was there with that, with Reagan, you know, talking, knocking down the USSR, baby. But, you know, uh, we got the receipts on these things and this is what you did. And this is what happens when you cozy up to dictators and you right. cozy up to, uh, to these regimes that, that do these sorts of things because you want a taste of that sweet cash, uh, you know, and that's what happened here. It's what happened. Uh, there's a guy in Hungary, uh, you know, the, the leader in Hungary uh, that uh, that Tucker Carlson went to see uh, and, and spoke at some rally for the guy who's another authoritarian, uh, Orban. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he spoke at a rally for this guy, you know, and and, and he's. Uh, Headed towards dictatorship. I mean, it's it's so. This is what they don't care, man. They don't care about that. What they care about is their own personal interest. And now they have now they're seeing that that's going to hurt them, and so they're running from it like you know roaches from the light. And, sure. And and our producer says it's Victor Orban is the guy you you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, Victor but, Orban. But here, but 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 here's the thing. While while. While I think elected Republicans are mm-hmm. running because, you know, they realize uh, the, the potential damage that could, this could have. I don't see Tucker Carlson changing course, at least not. And I don't follow him closely. But yeah. at last I could last I'm aware of, he hasn't changed course on this thing. Well, he has a little bit. He, he had has a show, it? I want to say earlier this week, where he asked, why are people saying I'm rooting for Russia? Even though he said, I'm not... Not wow. kind of said, not paraphrasing, not anything. He literally said, wow. I am rooting for Russia. That's right. what he literally said. Right. Uh, and so now this week he's like, oh, who, who says I'm on Russia's side? You know, I don't know about Russia. Russia? Who says it? But you know, listen, wow. when you've got that gullible of an audience, hell, you can say anything, man. You can mm. say anything you want to, and they'll believe that nonsense. Uh, but, you know, I, I what I wanted – I think where where I wanted though to to make the transition here in this mm-hmm. was to what happened on Wednesday, okay. and on Wednesday, uh, a an Alabama man from Arab. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and which was really funny because when we were talking about this for the our TV show that we we produced for Sundays, uh, it was written out in the script as an Arab man, and I was like, anywhere else in the world. <laughs> if this was written this way, it would be an Arab Arab man, you know. <laughs> I think you're going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be everybody would see it and go, "Damn, Arab man! That's what they're kind of describing this guy." <laughs> Jesus, man, how about a little decorum? Uh, but you know, it's just uh, you know. But here, as soon as I read it, I read it as Arab man, and I was right. an Arab man was yeah. you know. And, well, we know but, where we are, so exactly, you know. yeah. Uh, but yeah. And jo- uh, Joshua James is his name. He's an o- yeah. oath keeper leader, uh, former uh, military uh, veteran, or not former military, but he is a military veteran, um, uh, a Purple Heart recipient. 
Uh, he pleaded guilty this week to seditious conspiracies. The first one uh, to essentially plead guilty uh, or to be tried or to be convi- or, uh, charged with sedition um, uh, against the country. And um, mm. so he but he pleaded guilty uh, to that charge, uh, admitted to it, owned up to being uh, you know, coaxed into this. uh he was going. He was going to do bad things. He had. Uh, he he admitted to, that he was going to take up arms and would have been willing to take up arms and go to the Capitol uh, and defend what he believed to be the theft of a presidential election. And uh, you know, this is what what Republicans have done over the course of the last several years, uh, and, may, and you know, maybe predating Trump to to a certain degree, but certainly during the Trump years. Uh, as they have slowly began to chip away at everything that we kind of hold uh, dear in this country. Um, because they have. I mean, that's you, you, just one thing right after the other. They, they've just chipped it away and decided that it didn't. It didn't you know, what's the big deal? Oh, so what's the big deal if he if he talks to dictators? What's the big deal if he goes over and meets with Kim Jong Un? You know, what's the what's the big deal if we we do, if we let a president, you know, rob us blind by ch- overcharging uh, the Secret Service for these things? What's the big deal if we let the, the president say these things and it's not true? You know. What and we've what's the big deal to ourselves into a situation ultimately where we nearly had our elected officials at, at the Capitol as they were counting votes be attacked. All right. We're lucky they got out of there because I don't know what would have happened had they not, but you can bet yeah. there there would have been some bloodshed one way or the other. Um and you know, I, so all that was in an effort to keep a person in office who did not belong in office. Um, and and it was uh, and I also want to say this about uh, James. It, uh, mm-hmm. You know, he should be held responsible. He's going to be held responsible. He's going to go to jail and he deserves to go to jail. All right. For what he did. That said. This is also a person that for most of his adult life has taken orders from superiors. All right. Mm-hmm. He's used to that. He's used to take, uh, taking uh, the, the chain of command very seriously. And that chain of command told him that an election was stolen, that people mm-hmm. were subverting democracy, that they were, they were going, they were stealing it in, in broad daylight. They were going out and they told him this for months. <clears throat> the president told him, uh, Ted Cruz told him, Josh Hawley told him, Tommy Tuberville told him, Mo Brooks told him, uh, Paul Goser uh, told him. All of these people that did this stupid shit for months on end, talking about how these this uh, election was stolen, when they knew good and well it was not stolen, when they knew what we were doing, they wound this guy up and thousands others like him. They wound them all up, and then at that rally that day, Trump, Brooks, Trump Jr., uh, Rudy Giuliani, they further incited that riot. And then they sent those people to the Capitol. They expressly sent them there to stop that vote from happening. That's what they did. That's what they told them to do, to go down there and let your voices be heard. You know, stop that. Stop the count. They told them to do that. And Mm -hmm. that's what they sent them to do. And those people should also be held responsible for what they did. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I'm glad to see that the uh, the January 6th committee apparently believes they have enough evidence now to to go after Trump criminally. And that's what they're saying in court. And that's good. I'm glad to hear it, because I think the as you're indicating the obvious, the obvious without even knowing anything that was any of the testimony or any of the evidence presented, the obvious just by observing what happened. Mm-hmm. And then what happened afterward, the reluctance of the reticence of Trump to try to to stop the violence, to try to restore order, mm-hmm. his reticence, his reported glee at the chaos and the violence, uh, the, 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 the distance that he put between himself and Mike Pence, literally, literally, in my opinion, hanging his vice president out there to die. Yeah. All of that to me says criminality. Yeah. They had Just gallows. Common sense. Common they had sense. gallows. They had erected gallows to hang Mike Pence out front. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's, you've, yeah. you've seen the pictures. They were chanting. The thousands of people were chanting to hang Mike Pence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, what more do we need to see? Exactly. So I would say it's it's a good thing that not only that Trump is going to be held accountable, but that that we've got some other people, including our one of our fellow Alabamians, who's going to be held seriously accountable. I think that is really key. Mm-hmm. And again, it's what makes me scoff at your boy, Will Ainsworth, when he actually has the audacity to try to challenge you on Republicans that are supporting Russia. Because yeah. again, it's all there documented out in the open. It's like, what possible universe could you be living in where you would have the audacity to challenge Josh Moon, Will Ainsworth, on Republicans who are supporting Russia and Putin? It's all out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's, it's well documented, and and I understand. Um, I understand his his desire for that not to be true for for mm-hmm. you not to be in a party that is supportive of this murderous dictator, uh, you know, and this guy that has done these horrible things and is currently doing these horrible things. I understand that. But you know what? If you don't start taking ownership of some things and getting your people in line, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the last several weeks, uh, you know, after uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene went to the White Nationalist Conference uh, there and and spoke, um, that there's been a lot of talk about in Mitch McConnell and some others about how, you know, those sorts of white supremacist views are, have no place in the Republican party. Well, you know, I don't want roaches in my house Mm -hmm. and my neighbor doesn't want roaches in his house. Mm -hmm. I gotta say though, if I kept coming home and there were roaches in my house Mm -hmm. and there were none in my neighbor's house, I'd figure out what the hell I was doing wrong mm-hmm. because that's what mm-hmm. we've got. There's one mm-hmm. party that's got all of the white nationalists in it, all of the white supremacists. You know, that's right. Why is that's it that right. they keep going to that one party? Why? That's why right. is that? That's right. You know, I'll tell you why. Because they don't have an exterminator. They don't have an exterminator. <laughs> that's that's right. why they don't have. They don't have anybody in that party who is actively trying to ensure. That the that the roaches of white supremacy and white nationalism uh, and, and 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 racism are not in the party. In yeah. fact, what they're doing is 
they're opening up cans of of uh, food and debris yeah. to attract them. Yeah, that's yeah, why. because the roaches get a vote in that in there that house. Go. The roaches there get a vote. Go. Yeah, and so you're right. You're 100 percent right. They they have allowed this to, to to hang around, and the only time they have a problem with it is when it becomes a national embarrassment for them. All right. Otherwise, they're perfectly happy to accept the votes uh, of the people chanting the Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville and the Marjorie Taylor Greens going to white nationalist conferences and speaking with people that are denying the Holocaust. And, uh, uh, you know, all of the all the anti uh, Black Lives Matter people out there, all of the people who are trying to pass anti-riot bills to, to stem, you know, black people from marching in the streets when mm-hmm. because they're being uh, systemically uh, killed and murdered uh, out there. You know, these are the sorts of things when you do those, that's the type of people you attract. Uh, And 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 I'm going to add this to it. You you know, uh, Ainsworth has put forward this legislation supposedly designed to uh, prevent what has been happening in Brookside with Mm -hmm. uh, primarily black people being stopped and harassed by the police and the police are trying to gin up their their uh, quota of tickets and or arrest or whatever it is there. Uh, you know, he has looked at this and his the legislation that Ainsworth has promoted is legislation that, at least based on the media report I read, is based solely on the economics of the situation. He's completely disregarded the fact that this was the very reason that we know about this. It's because it was disproportionately impacting people of color, most egregiously impacting people of color. And and so to me, it's not just that there's a refusal to exterminate. There's a denial about the problem. Mm -hmm. There's a Mm -hmm. denial about the problem. And the approach that he's taken on this, to me, is just another indication that they don't want to see things as they are. They may want to solve the problem. They may, they, may, they may be disgusted by it. But then the way they decide to solve it is a, is, a, is a method that doesn't really get to the root of it or acknowledge it for what it is. Yeah, you know, I, I'll say, you know, they, they did hire the investigator in Brookside uh, who came back and said that while there were certainly racial disparities, uh, that there were the larger issue for him. And if I'm not mistaken, this was a, a, an investigator who was African-American man. Um, he said that the biggest problem was is that they seemed to prey upon people that they thought were poor and did not have the means to fight back against them. Um, and that that seemed to play across all racial lines, uh, Hispanics, whites, uh, blacks, anybody that they they felt like were in an, uh, an older model car, uh, somebody that they felt like would not have the means to come back at them in any way, shape or form, would just take the take whatever happened to them during a, in a traffic stop uh, and move on. Now, that was often uh, hitting people of color, uh, but he's in his in his view, he said that what was the biggest issue there was that they were just looking for poor people, uh, that they wanted to, to screw out of money uh, and, and to ruin their lives. Well, that it may be true that other people were affected. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in no position to dispute that. 
but I know that that the uh, that the initial reporting, yes, it seemed to be, if not exclusively, people of color who were being affected. Certainly, most egregiously, people of color who were being mm-hmm. affected. And we know, again, just based on on uh, you know what what data has always shown us is that when you start talking about people who are poor, mm-hmm. you know, people of color are disproportionately impacted by poverty. Yeah, you know. White people in this country are not, uh, even though even though there are more poor whites in this country than there are poor people of color. That's because there are more white people currently. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. you know, yeah. currently. So yeah. uh, white people, though, when you start looking at it from a percentage standpoint, uh, and looking at the numbers, white people are not disproportionately poor. Mm-hmm. People of color are. Yeah. No, so, no, you're right. You're 100 percent right. It's yeah. And, and, and listen, I'm not I, I believe that there were certainly I listened to the stories. There were certainly some racist intent uh, behind a lot of those stops uh, and, and with a lot of those officers. Uh, you listen to the words that they say and how they went about conducting their mm-hmm. business. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that that's exactly what uh, what they intended. But, you know, it, it's uh, I, I just think that they uh, that was a, a portion of it. Uh, I think you're 100 percent right that that was a portion of it. And I think it's a portion of it that you you need to deal with. But um, I I do think when we're talking about economics, I don't think that the intent of that bill is meant to protect poor people. I think that it's meant to protect uh, the resources of the town. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just... You know, I, I think that we need to uh, we need to do a little bit better all the way around. And, um, you know, and the Republican Party should probably do a little bit better all the way around as well. Yeah. So. We're going to uh, we're going to pay tribute to uh, Arthurine Lucy, who just passed away. Yes. Before we go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We can we can do that before we before we get out of here. It's a it's I'll say, you know, it, I can't imagine walking into that building. Uh, those days, you know, or walking onto that campus when she did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, uh, you want to talk about being all alone, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, uh, you know, so was, was the first black student at the university of Alabama. And, um, I, I was, was hated, um, was, I mean, what she went through was terrible. Um, I, I just, it was, um, you know, obviously a, a, a different time uh, where a lot more things were accepted uh, then than, than they are now. And I, what the amount of fear that she had to take with her every day. Mm-hmm. God, I just, mm-hmm. I don't understand, man. I don't understand how you do it. And it's uh, what a, what a great woman. And the idea that you would put her name on a building with a, uh, former leader of the KKK is the University of Alabama originally decided to do, uh, right. it, uh, although they they reversed course now. Uh, but phew, my God, what a what an amazing lady! Yeah, what an amazing lady! And I just I couldn't help but feel when I learned that she had passed away uh, this morning. I just couldn't help but feel that the timing of everything was just so you know, incredible. I don't know if they knew that she was dying or, or what. I'm, I'm not clear on that. The reporting didn't indicate that, that, uh, that she was, uh, in poor health to that degree. So it sounds as though it just kind of was unexpected, at least yeah. based on what I read. And I'm thinking, my God, I'm so glad that, 
that they were able to get this done before she died and that her family was able to experience this great honor before she died. And, and of course, there's nothing in my mind that the university can do to make up for what was done to her. But this is certainly something that is significant and got to give credit to the University of Alabama for doing this, especially understanding there are probably going to be repercussions for this, you know, uh, with the state because of this law that yeah. uh, that I guess is it has it been passed yet or is it in the process of being passed? It's in the process of being passed. I'm yeah. not sure how I'm not sure how that's going to make it. We'll see. We'll see how that does, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that seems to have hit the back burner. Uh, and so, I mean, and I think maybe somebody's turned the back burner off. <laughs> so, yeah, well, well, they uh, well, should. They should. Yeah, they should. They hundred yeah. percent should. Yeah. Uh, but we'll we'll see. And I know because I also know that I read where uh, where Stephen Reed has, has said today that he's going to change all the names of yeah, streets named after Confederate right. uh, soldiers and uh, or Confederate uh, generals or whatever. And, uh, and, and good for him. Yeah. 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 Like, good for him. Yeah, and and says he's got the money. To, he says he's got the funding to handle whatever comes his way related yep. to that. So, which yep. I think is also incredible. Yeah, that's uh, it's, it's really nice. And I hope uh, what I wish is that he would just not pay him. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sue us. All right, go yeah, ahead, exactly. sue us. Okay. Yeah, sue, sue us. me. I'll yeah. pay you next week. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's slide out of here. We'll be right back. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. David Person, Josh Moon, and we've got two special guests, my dear friends and co-producers of the Finding Tamika podcast, which is just launching today on Audible. Uh, Rebecca Howard, who is uh, not only a producer of the podcast, but is the aunt of Tamika Houston, the subject of the podcast, and then the host and producer, Erica Alexander. And uh, of course, whenever I mention Erica's name, uh, there'll be a flicker of recognition and people will say, Maxine from Living Single or Cousin Pam or she was that detective and get out, right? And, you know, and, and, or the mother on the Wu-Tangs, you know, it there goes you go. on and on. So, yeah, I'm like a Jekyll my, and Hyde character, just keep popping up. <laughs> <laughs> so it is good to see you all, both of you. And, uh, and thank uh, you. Well, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Yeah, don't I don't say think anything, it's good. Josh. I don't think it's good at all because these are the people that keep trying to steal David from me. Uh, it's true. And, it's true. Yeah. It's I know. True. Listen, I know he's good. Y'all got, but leave him alone. He's mine. <laughs> that, that's fine. When he came out to LA, we even fed him. You that's didn't right. know. That's the way to keep. That's the way to keep a big part. Uh, giving him food or giving him clothes. I'm about to buy David a house. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm about to do. I'm about to buy oh, David's yeah. house. 
Hey, it's I'll take you up on that. Well, he was a cheap date till then. Maybe you win. I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about this this uh, this really, I think, beautiful project that the three of us have been blessed to work on, Finding Tamika. Um, uh, Rebecca, you wanna you wanna start? You wanna t- talk a little bit about it? I'm sure. Uh, first of all, David, we really owe you, Eric and I owe you, yes. for, you know, for planting the seed that brought mm-hmm. us together. Um, right. You know, you gave me that call. I got it was we were all in lockdown. I think it was May of 2020. And you just called me to check on me and the family. And we had a great conversation. Um, don't even think we talked about Tamika um, in that conversation. But you called me back a, a day or so later. And, um, you know, not only did you, you know, you came with the idea, you said, are you interested in doing a podcast about Tamika? And I told you, no, it had been years since I even did interviews, because after a certain point, I just felt there was no value in it. It was just very um, uh, voyeuristic and rehashing like a, a family tragedy, uh, particularly for my sister, Tamika's mother. I just didn't want to put her th- through that anymore. But you said, you know, um, I know that you always want to do something more with this. And maybe this is an opportunity to not only explore the story in the way that you would want to, but to have it serve a greater purpose. And you're like, you know, I'm friends with Erica Alexander. I've worked with Erica before. You know, I'm going to if with your permission, can I reach out to her? And I said, sure. In my head, I'm like, you know, sure. Maxine is absolutely going to want to do this project with me. I'll wait (laughs) with bated breath on my phone for you to call me back. You know, it's like one of those things you get permission for. You really don't know what you're getting into. You just say, sure, absolutely. (laughs) But, you know, to my surprise, you uh, called me back and said that Erica is interested in the project and Ben, her partner in Color Farm Media. and it was off to the races. I think we just started collaborating um, all together, you know, coming up with a, an, a name, finding Tamika, a treatment, a timeline. And it just, you know, started pitching uh, folks who, who may want to buy this. Um, and it was, uh, you know, just it kind of took on a life of its own. And here we are today. And also, David, not only did you plant the seeds, but I also have to thank you um, for being one of the journalists who at the time back in 2000, 2004, 2005, who was even interested in Tamika's story. And I know that you wrote something, I think, for the Huntsville Times, Black America Web. You were uh, an advocate for us uh, when there were a few advocates for us um, in getting Tamika's story told while she was missing uh, for those very long 15 months. So I want to thank you for that as well. Well, thank you. Well, look, it was it was my honor. It was my honor. Uh, Erica, when I, when I called you about this, well, let me first, let me, let me preface, uh, before I ask the question, let me preface it with a a quick statement. Uh, the one thing that I knew about Erica, and I've said, I've told this before, I've said this Josh before and Rebecca before Erica is, you know, she's a big Hollywood star and all of that. But, but here's the thing about Erica. Erica is she she really puts me in the mind of 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 somebody like I think I've mentioned Paul Robeson before. Um Uh-oh. you know Paul Robeson uh sit um uh um I'm thinking of uh, Harry Belafonte okay. people like that Danny Glover people like wow. that wow, who wow, wow. whose commitment to their art is 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 co-mingled with their commitment to social justice. And and so Erica is, you know, yes, she's a she's a comic actor, 
you know, who also can do the, you know, dramatic acting, but she has a a high level of sensitivity Mm -hmm. and awareness of the plight of disenfranchised people. So I knew that from working with her before. So it was no surprise to me that when I called her and she and Ben and I got on the phone, Erica asked me a ton of questions. She, this is her, this is her MO. She's going to ask a ton of questions and then she's going to make a, a conscientious decision. And after we had that conversation, she said, I want to do this. Now that's how it was from my end of the phone, Erica. What was it like on your end of the phone when I first called you about this, this possible project? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for that fantastic introduction. You actually said it exactly like I wrote it. So, you know, great delivery. He forgot. He forgot Harry Belafonte's name, like we had discussed earlier. But you know, a few extra tidbits. But the ropes in Belafonte is perfect. Okay. Uh, on my end, well, you know, David and I, he'd asked me to participate in a um, an event that was um, commemorating Reese Taylor. And I'd come to Alabama and I first met David. It was lovely. He's doing the hard work of it. And I like admire anybody who's doing things um, to bring light to the hardest subjects, because I believe that that's what needs the most support. And um, we stayed friends and friendly. And so when he called, I was automatically going to be interested in him because he'd already shown himself to be a person who was in the, um, the belly of the beast. So I just wanted to understand more about um, what it would be like and, and what the expectations were and who was Tamika and who was Rebecca and that type of a thing, because you also want to know if you can bring value. Um, you know, you, you have a company, this color farm with, with Ben, that type of thing. But the first thing you don't want to do is tie an anchor to a tanker. Literally, it can be so hard to move things. You want to say, well, are we the right person? Will we have enough muscle to, to do this? But I certainly want to do it from the minute he he asked, I would have done it, anything he asked me to do, because um, David is so compelling. He's a good person, but also he's a fantastic journalist. And, and I believe in, in, the, in him and in his, um, his power. So, yes, it was, it was easy to say yes. And so that's what it was like on our end. It was just a matter of trying to figure out what the path would be, which we all figured out together. And uh, meeting Rebecca, who's so, I mean, you can see why this case and Tamika's name and everything has gone so far beyond 2004. And it's the power of this woman who's five foot one and relentless. Um, never seen anything like it, especially with the trauma you've had to endure and um, your own family and your own health and mental health. It's astounding. And so anything we can do to provide some kind of, you know, we're like um, when you go, Frodo goes to Middle Earth, you say she's carrying that ring. I'm going to help her get there. Oh, thank you. I don't have to carry the ring, but I'm going to help you throw it in that fire. I'll tell you that much. So great. You, you best make sure you care. Don't be like Frodo and not trying to throw in the fire. No, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, you want to not expect this to go down the Lord of the Rings path. Well, you know, it's the fellowship like, of the rings. You I understand. Know. No, I get it. I you got see. it. Yeah, it's a great yeah, reference. The fellowship just, of just, Tamika. Yeah. I got you. Well, and I was going to say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to set aside my hurt feelings for a few minutes uh, because I really want to know um, uh, what, 
I, I, because I am kind of on the outside looking in. Y'all, y'all know what you know what what is y'all been dealing with this? I'm assuming for months now, um, and and talking about it and going through the story, and and I, I'm I'm somewhat familiar uh, with with the story, uh, but I guess maybe for for people who aren't at all, what what is the story of Tamika, and and what is the podcast about? Sure. I'll, I'll tell about the story of Tamika and I'll let Erica jump in or, or David um, to tell more about uh, the art of the podcast, the audio series, audible, audible original that we put together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tamika Houston was a beautiful 24 year old woman um, who was living in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And Tamika was my niece. She was my oldest sister's only daughter. And um, again, she suddenly disappeared um, from her home. Uh, and it was a grueling 15 months of us looking for her. There were very little clues at the beginning. It was almost a cold case from the onset. Sydney, um, sorry, Tamika. Sydney is my daughter, not my sister's right. daughter. Um, uh, Tamika was a woman who lived alone. She owned her own home. She was preparing to go back to school. So she was not working a full-time job. So she wasn't in school. She didn't have a job. She lived alone, which meant several days passed by before there was no one looking for her every single, you know, for her to check in. There wasn't somewhere for her to be at nine o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the evening. So several days had passed by. So it was very much a cold case. I feel from the onset, once I was alerted to by a former boyfriend that he hadn't heard from her for a few days. um, And he contacted my sister as well. And when she wasn't calling any of us back and her phone starts rolling to voicemail, it um, I was very alarmed. So I call the Spartanburg Public Safety Department, try to report her missing. I was met with some resistance at the beginning. I didn't get them to do like a wellness check of her house, which they did. Um, but I just didn't feel like I was going to get the response that I needed. So I got on a plane by the next day and I, I headed there and um I really try to just push the the with missing adults so often is the case. It's 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 difficult to kind of get that ball moving. There's an assumption that they could have walked off on their own and they deserve, you know, they they are certainly are free to do that. But um, it was critical to me because I knew that was not like my niece to just disappear like that and not and make us worry in the ways that we were at that point. Um so once I got the police to believe me and I got them on board and the investigation was rolling, the next thing I did, so my background, I'm a non-practicing attorney, but I, for a living, I practice PR. Mm-hmm. So it was of critical importance to me to get her story out there um, locally and then nationally. I, I really wanted to cast as wide a net as possible because she could have been anywhere in my mind. She, you know, we had family up and down the East Coast. Um and I think I was very naive in thinking that her story would they would automatically pick it up. I, I you know, I, um, and they did not. And I think the reason I was naive is because all of us had grown accustomed to the type of coverage about missing young women that was out there. You know, we the Lacey Peterson, the, um, you know, later after to be goes Natalie Holloway and Chandra Levy is a case that I remember it was, you know, those sorts of stories. With the cable networks was was of great interest and the nation was very engulfed in their stories and trying to find them. And I was met with so much resistance and it was very um, 
uh, I don't know. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was also, it just kind of really shook my faith because I was like, Hey, I, here I am. I have the, I know what I'm doing. I know how to pitch these stories. I know how to call the news desk. I have contacts who I can reach out to and still no one's interested. So what happens to the family, you know, with a, a woman, um, her daughter goes missing and she doesn't happen to have a sister who's a publicist. What happens to those families? And yeah, so that that's to make a story in a nutshell. Eventually, I, I was able to break through after many, many months and my pitch changed. It wasn't just help, you know, tell the story of my niece. I need to find her. It was like, why the hell are you ignoring my niece's story? Right, she right. became really a symbol of what when Eiffel, the great uh, when Eiffel. Uh, late great uh, termed missing white woman syndrome. And it's kind of this damsel in distress and, you know, a whole nation has to come to her rescue. And that sort of compassion, that sort of um, interest just is not afforded to young black women, you know? Um, so that that's to make a story. And Nasha, Erica, I'll let you speak more to what we try to do with the podcast. Sure. Uh, this is called an audible original. And in that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. It's actually uh, important because um, it's uh, they don't even designate it in the podcast space. They're trying to build um, a very high end audio experience. So if you come in like that, um, that means that all of our partners, including from David, David and I started um, early on building a demo. Ooh, Lord, sorry, fly building a demo <laughs> to this. And a lot of the core of that still remains. We say um, you don't have to, uh, a black girl doesn't have to go missing for you not to see her. It comes, we, we did the, the, the early work of that. Certainly Rebecca Howard was a huge part of this. This is a true crime spine to it. And she laid out in perfect um, precision the things that happened one after the other and how it, like a clock ticking, what was going on next. And, you know, she was mm -hmm. really good at it. You know, that's probably part, part of her lawyer background, but the way she made it accessible is part of her PR background. So anybody who read it, can see it. That helped because we had to go out and find funding for it. And we did. And there were a lot of really good folks who were interested. But what happened is eventually um, I had done uh, a podcast. Now, this was in the podcast space of Black Effect uh, Reparations podcast. And mm -hmm. uh, Charlemagne gave a, a call and said, yo, Queen, um, you pitched two things. I, I, I'm interested in both. Um, but the other one can go to my deal with Kevin Hart and SBH Productions on Audible, which was perfect for us because we didn't know it then that we would need some of that firepower, but also the fact that they were going to elevate it and give us the time it took, the resources, all of those things. So we went with that and um, got two great partners inside of it who have intentionally made it their business to support Black women um, not only through their funds and scholarships and things like that, but also to uh, make collaboration and partnerships uh, with people in the business. That was excellent. And we were on our way. Um, that's that's how that came about. That's great. I mean, it's a, you know, I, I listen to a lot of Audible. I'm an Audible subscriber. And so I, I do. I listen to a lot of the Audible podcasts and they're all they're all really great. They're they're exactly they're different because they're not like podcasts in a, in a lot of ways. They're they're a, kind of a narrative story that you can follow along and um, and it, they, they don't sound that way. Was you know, what do you feel like the final product is what you envisioned at the beginning of this? I, I was all three of you. Is it is this what when you went into this, uh, you know, I'm sure you had a vision in mind 
And do you feel like the final product was what that was or did it change for the better, for the worse, for, or, or do you, are you very happy with it? I, I personally, I, I was blown away with um, where even, even in the early stages, we're very lucky to uh, get a young man by the name of James T. Green to be the executive producer over all of this and really had the creative vision. He was, um, you know, he came up with ideas that I don't think we ever would have came up with the three, you know, doing an entire episode with it's like a musical tribute to Tamika. And it comes at a part in the series that it's very heavy. It's after, you know, we find Tamika's remains um, kind of before we go into the court process. So it's a very heavy moment. And it's, you know, it's it's just music. It's, you know, some words interspersed uh um, from family and friends of Tamika, but those types of things I just never imagined, like would even be possible. And I would say Erica's writing was incredible. As much as we know Erica as an actress, Mm -hmm. I was blown away by the quality in the, um, it was, it's, it was sometimes just like reading musical lyrics and she 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 really is. She really, she writes so beautifully and it really, I think, um, when I say it, like you said, it really elevated what we, I had imagined that we were going to do. So yeah, David, what about you? You know, I, I, I echo pretty much everything you said. I mean, it was just, um, you know, I, I kind of had a vague idea about what I wanted to hear. Uh, but when James got involved, James really brought it to life in ways that I just hadn't imagined. And then when Erica put not only pen to paper to write, you know, uh, these, these really awesome monologues, but, but also her delivery, her execution, you know, was just tremendous. So, and then the, and then the score that, uh, James's team put together, I mean, it was, it, it's a, you know, Josh as an audible guy. I think you're yeah. going to find that this is, this podcast, uh, this, I'm sorry, this Audible original, I got to get used to the nomenclature, y'all. Right. This Audible original. Um, See, y'all don't want him. He, he screws things up like this all the time. Y'all don't want him. You <laughs> don't even want him. Y'all don't want him. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, the, 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 uh, th- this, this is going to stand up to, I think, anything else that they have. And, I, and I've been telling people, uh, and, you know, maybe I'm not supposed to do this, maybe, you know, uh, super showbiz superstition or something. But I really think this is going to win awards. I really do. I think that the, the the caliber of the work is so well done. The topic is so well done. And the journalism mm-hmm. is so well executed. I think it's going to win awards. I really do. Well, I have obviously not heard it, Thank but you. I know it's high praise. I know this I, from listening to y'all talk about it. Um, you, you've gone into it with, uh, you know, well, I, I don't like you, you stealing David, but I, I, I do. Um, I, I do think y'all have gone into it with, with such a, with such the, the right purpose and, and, and wanting to do such a good thing. Your awards are not, I mean, you know, that's what I'll say most often that's where awards come from, but awards are not. 
what you've done, I, I believe, will make a difference and will open up a lot of people's eyes to a, to a huge problem. Um, because, I mean, you're 100% right, and we all know it. Y'all, we all know you're right. Uh, but to hear the experience of a family kind of going through it, and and to and to personalize it in such a way, I, I think will make a huge difference. And I, you know, I, I really, if 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 I'm going to lose David, I'm happy that I lost him to such a to such a thing here. I really am. And and it's it's I think that it's uh, I, I wish y'all all the success in the world. I think I think it's something that, that that's going to change a lot of lives. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. It's great sportsmanship the way you're taking this. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're no Isaiah Thomas. I told David earlier. I told David earlier. If we, if, I know next week if he shows up fat and with an ankle injury, he's going to James Harden the hell out of me. No, that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And shout out to Isaiah, friend, a friend, a friend. Now, uh, it, but just so you know, Josh, too, we had this wasn't an easy ride. Mm-hmm. I think that we all thought that it deserved a treatment, meaning the story itself. That mm-hmm. was just not a true crime. We knew that the true crime was the spine, but also to come out of it, out of it, out it, at it in a creative space that would bring in new listeners and new viewers who didn't know Tamika's story, but also lift it because her life was so amazing. And she was a beautiful person, but she was also a three-dimensional person with flaws and everything else. And we knew if we told her whole story, that would tell people, you know what, don't just go to the trauma, just don't go to, to the murder and the blood and the guts of it, that she deserves any tr- the treatment that Scarlett Johansson would get, you know, that we would bring her out as a full woman and girl who had dreams, but also who might have, unfortunately, made some choices that she shouldn't have. And to see her in that space, because when Rebecca was um, obviously trying to get attention for this, she had to paint the absolute best, very best of what Tamika was because there was no room for them to give them any reason to say, oh, no, she deserved it. She was doing this or that. So it had to be straight, no chaser. But here we could fan out a little bit and really provide that space. And why is that important? Because they never give that type of treatment to black girls and women. They don't. You either a set of characteristics you're strong, you're uh, sassy, you're this, oh, you can twerk, look at your booty, all that nonsense, but you're never a full person. So we had some course corrections we had to do and some changes because we said, we're gonna do a neo-noir, true crime, ghost mm-hmm. story. And Tamika was very much there as not just a ghost, a presence, talking to people, pushing us to do this. So that's what you see. You see, it's, it's, it's talk about it takes a village, it takes a nation to find somebody, but this village, we all knew that we wanted to give her the very best setting, like a diamond. And that takes. Yeah, well, what's that's you know that's true though for for uh, for black people throughout history. I mean, look at the one dimensional way people like even like Rosa Parks, for example. You know, these nonsensical stories about you know that's not a real person. You know, this see this tired seamstress on the bus. No. She was, I mean, there was, you know what I mean? There was so much, she was a, a badass lady that was fighting sheriffs in lower Alabama for years, you know, and did all of these great things. And it, they were, her and Fred Gray were planning this bus boycott at lunchtime for, you know, for months. And it just, though, to me that uh, I hope, you know, that people appreciate that because um, it is, I think, something that has plagued our history in the in the United States for for a very, very long time as, as we've just not we've glossed over. And even when we've given credit to a, a lot of 
of black people in this and, and other minorities as well. We've we've painted them in such a way that so diminishes them as people and and stuff. And so, yeah, man, I hope that this 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 works and, and, and does exactly what y'all want it to do. Hey, real quick, Josh, before thank we uh, have to let Erica and Rebecca go, I want to I want to thank not only Erica for her participation and Ben on on the Color Farm team, who, by the way, if you don't you. know, uh, they were also behind the brilliant documentary on uh, John Lewis called Good Trouble that aired on CNN and has been on in other uh, media uh, on other media. I want to thank Rebecca specifically and her sister, Gabby, for the sacrifice they made in entrusting us with Tamika's story uh, trusting us to to treat it with respect and care. We live this thing. You know, Rebecca did, Gabby did, Zelda, Tamika's best friend did. They all had to relive this in ways that I know were painful for them. So I want to thank you, you Rebecca and your family and Zelda, uh, for being willing to do this because, as I think Josh has, has, has indicated, this story has the potential to be, uh, it can save, I don't think this is overstating it, it could possibly save lives. I mean, really, if people listen to this story and really absorb it, it could perhaps help some young women to make some different choices, help some young men to make some different choices, and help families who have to deal with unfortunate tragedies to deal with these tragedies in a way that will be most effective in helping them to achieve justice. So, Rebecca, thank you to you and your family. Thank you, David. That really, thank you, Erica, um, just for giving so much care to Tamika and holding her in such, um, you know, just protecting her, I would say, like I would. I really, I do, I feel that about both of you, and I trusted you, and I'm so honored, and I know Tamika would be so happy that you know, her story is being told yeah. in this way. And thank you, David, for bringing us all together. You're the glue and you understood the things that, I mean, it's, it's so funny. You think about how things get going. And I said, David, it's a fantastic thing that you uh, thought that, um, that we could be a part of it and have something of value to, um, to participate or to, to give. But I have to say that you have been in this fight supporting uh, black women and supporting black people and as a communicator and as a professor and all these things, uh, more power to you. And thank you for doing all that hard work. And thank you, Josh, for your contribution as well to have these conversations in these spaces matters. These are the stories that I think will ring past all the stuff that we see that's I think disposable. This is non-disposable. So David, like you, I do think it has the ability to, of great change inside of it. Yeah, I, I do too. It, it's uh, most hurtful to hear that David was trying to leave me, uh, but you know, and it wasn't doing the other way around. But that's fine. That's fine. I'm not hurt. Um, and I'm uh, y'all. Y'all listen. Uh, go go to Audible. Check it out. Uh, it's available starting now. Right? It's uh, today. It's Audible out today. Slash uh, Audible dot com slash Tamika slash Tamika. Yeah. Check it out. Um, it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm actually going to do it right now. Um, so, uh, if you have a prime yeah. account, I think you already have an in there yep. and, uh, get a significant discount, but yes, that's right. And um, if you go to that, what I just said, they give you the first episode for free. 
so you can yeah. listen to it. And I think that's great. Yeah. Get you hooked. Get you hooked in Get there on that. Hooked. Yeah. There you go. Shout out to Spartanburg and Terrence and all the people in Spartanburg, law enforcement, Major Lamb, all these people to me because aunt's whole family, her half sister. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. All right. So seriously, y'all go, uh, y'all go check it out and, and thank y'all for, for doing this and, uh, and for coming on and spending time with us and talking about it. It's, this has been great. Uh, and, uh, I hope to, hope to get you back and thank you. keep your hands off of David. Okay. Keep your hands off of David. You too. At least ours are sanitized. <laughs> so, don't be knocking his hobbies. <laughs> you know that's the only that's the only extra little perk I get so leave me alone <laughs> alright y'all bow yeah <laughs> alright uh, thank y'all guys Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, wrap this thing up. There. There was a situation this week that I, I wanted to uh, to talk about uh, because, right. as we know, we, we've had uh, a representative Chris England uh, on here before um, uh, several times and uh, a, a good guy, um, a smart guy, a really, really smart guy. Um, and he has a bill which he discussed on our show. Uh, the last time he was on here to, to reform pardons and paroles essentially um, would uh, would make pardons and paroles follow the law. You know, that's all that he's asking for uh, is for pardons and paroles. Well, uh, our attorney general, who has never met a law that he can't figure out a way around, uh, Steve Marshall, um, I, I mean, I, I've never met a more lawless attorney general than than ours. Um, he is against this. And he wrote a letter to the legislature this week expressing uh, his disappointment in this bill and urging them to vote against it, uh, and which in a an election year will probably result in this bill dying, uh, even though it had pretty broad uh, bipartisan support because it was not uh, really a controversial bill. All it did, it didn't even take away the ability for pardons and paroles to make subjective decisions on paroles. It only required that if they made one and went outside of the uh, of the parameters of what they were supposed to do, that they explained their reasoning. Why? That they had there was it required them to write out why they were denying somebody who it seemed as though under the system in place should have been granted parole. Why they were denying it, uh, or vice versa, why they were granting it to somebody who doesn't seem to to uh, warrant parole. So um, 
Steve Marshall wrote and said that in his tenure as attorney general, he's only pushed two pieces of legislation. You cannot have a legitimate debate about parole rates without understanding that 80% of Alabama's prison population are violent criminals. Since 2015, near annual changes to our sentencing and incarceration laws have ensured that dangerous offenders are largely the only ones left behind bars. This is not really true. As a result, I was wondering about that. Yeah, it's. I mean, there are are the percentages higher than they have been before because we have made changes, rightfully so, made changes that that let out uh, nonviolent offenders, uh, drug people with drug issues, put them into drug programs and treatment syst- uh, systems, and and did a variety of different things to ease the prison population that we know works better than just allowing them to fester in cells. Yes, we've done that. Our apologies, Steve. Um, Every inmate in the custody of the Alabama Department of Corrections was sentenced by a judge to a term of incarceration. But today, a sentence is hardly more than a suggestion, says Steve Marshall. Between good time, mandatory early release, education incentive time, and the like, there is essentially nothing left to whittle away. Perhaps that is why the anti-incarceration crowd has set its sights on the boards of, uh, the Board of Pardons and Paroles, because there is nobody else to blame for our prison rates, least of all the criminals themselves. You know, there is nobody more full of shit than Steve Marshall. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, I want to be clear about what you know when I say this because I, you know, I listen. I yes, am I do I lean left and am I progressive and I, am I you know more aligned with Democrats? That's certainly true, but there have been people. Um, in that role that I have respected uh, the job that they have done. Uh, Up until the last year of his tenure, I respected the job that Luther Strange did as attorney general in the state. I felt like he had an intent to serve uh, people uh, in consumer protection matters and that he was very tough on on white collar crime uh, and, uh, you know, the political uh, he, he had a had a real strong person there in Matt Hart that was chasing after political crimes. All right, I, I believed that they they were doing a pretty good job um, up until the last year when he decided that he didn't care about the law any damn more and he would just do whatever he could to get into that Senate seat. Uh, but I don't know that I've ever encountered anybody as unabashedly politically ambitious and willing to do anything and say anything to further his own career than Steve Marshall. And I don't, I'm not lying about that. Um, That's not hyperbole. I think Steve Marshall is one of the most dangerous politicians we have in this state because of what he is willing to do and what he is willing to forego. There is no law that he, uh, that I've seen in which he felt like he could just skip past it, that he wasn't willing to do so. Uh, Whether it, whether it was was taken, uh, Campaign finance money uh, from PACs that from pack to pack transfers, so you couldn't trace it. Uh, you know, to not just completely disregarding the rules of the courts, to completely disregarding constitutional amendments for uh, uh, for counties in terms of gambling rights. Uh, there has been nothing that if he felt like it would further his career and his agenda that he wouldn't wouldn't do. And this is another one: he doesn't give a shit about those prisoners. He doesn't care about the prison systems in this state. He doesn't care about the criminal justice system, except to the point where it aids Steve Marshall. 
That's all he mm. has ever cared about. All right. Because let me tell you how I know he doesn't care is because every okay. single issue that is cited in the Department of Justice report on Alabama's prisons, that horrific report that has come out, mm-hmm. every single issue in there, every lawsuit that brought that thing about crossed Steve Marshall's desk first. And he didn't do a damn thing. He didn't lift a finger. He didn't investigate it. He didn't go down there and tell somebody, hey, we need to clean this up. He didn't call for anybody to be fired. He didn't didn't call for anybody to be transferred. He didn't do anything about any of those things. And so the only thing that he cares about is this image of him being tough on crime. And he's going to do it by punishing people that under the system that we have implemented in this state, that we have agreed on to allow prisoners to be paroled. All anybody has asked is that they follow that. And so now he's going to say that's a step too far to just follow the damn law because it's always a step too far to follow the law when it gets in Steve Marshall's way. Hmm. Well, I, um, I, I respect your passion, your zeal, um, I think your assessment of uh, Mr. Marshall, A.G. Marshall, uh, certainly is, uh, you know, I think it's it's well thought out. Uh, I'm going to say um, my my calculus for evaluating our attorney generals has probably been a lot more limited than yours. Uh, you know, I don't I you know, I don't profess to be the reporter that you are. I've, I've done reporting. Mm-hmm. I've done, you know, my fair share of uh, intensive journalism. But but over the arc of my career, uh, you know, I've done a lot more just, uh, you know, I've, I've been more on the opinion side, which right. involves reporting, but not as detailed as yours. But having said all of that. My metric has been where our attorney generals stand on the death penalty and how voracious they have been in terms of implementing the death penalty uh, in our state. And by that metric, uh, Steve Marshall is bad. But as I recall, so was Luther Strange. Mm -hmm. And as I recall, Troy King, in my mind, in fact, I used to call him a vampire on the radio and I think even in newspaper columns. I just, Mm -hmm. you know, I just thought he had a bloodlust that I'd never seen before. Uh, So I but but I'm not saying any of that to disagree with you. I'm just simply saying the context through which I kind of measure these guys is different. But I think uh, but I think. you know, you're right. There's still there's something disturbing about the fact that the person who is supposed to treat the law with the most reverence mm-hmm. seems to be, uh, if not the most disinclined to do so, certainly one of the most disinclined to do so. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying um, about the death penalty. Um, you know, and, uh, and I'll say, I'll even say in, um, in Steve Marshall's somewhat defense here okay. that I, I understand that there will always be a certain amount of pandering in terms of being tough on crime that will accompany any Republican who does the job of attorney general in this state. And I think part of that is 
uh, is is telling people we're going to be very very tough on crime and we're going you know if they if they're sentenced to death and we're not going to let it linger around we're going to get them there as fast as we can you know uh, and because I think with a number of people in this state that is a popular stance to take mm. uh, I don't agree with it. I, I don't agree. I don't agree with the gleeful sort of press releases that come out from uh, his office and the governor's office uh, after somebody has been put to death talking about what a, you know, a horrible human being they were. And we're proud to report that so and so is you know, we followed through as the as the court requested or whatever. You know, I think those things are typically terrible uh, and, and deplorable. And I think that uh, we should never be bragging about ending the life of somebody. It should be a somber, if you're going to have to carry it out because that's your duty, okay. But it should be a somber thing. Uh, and and I don't think that there is any harm whatsoever uh, in, in saying that, because this is one thing they never do, is they'll offer prayers or uh, condolences to, to the victim's families, rightfully so. Everybody should remember that there are always victims uh, out there that had somebody taken from them in, in all of these death penalty cases, had somebody taken from them. Um, and, and those people are the actual victims here. But there's Except also they're innocent. But yes. Well, yeah. yes, exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but even still, those people had somebody taken from them. Well, just yes, maybe not from somebody. this person. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so that's, the, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and so but at the same time. If we're going, if you're going to pass this judgment and you're going to carry out this sentence, you've got to be better. You've got to at least put on the face of being the better human here mm-hmm. uh, and saying and it not be an act of vengeance. This is not what this is supposed to be. If it's an act of vengeance, it's you've, you've lost. You've lost mm-hmm. this whole thing. Okay. The moral high ground. That's yeah, right. you've lost everything. Yeah. There's no reason to do it anymore because we, we don't have the moral high ground anymore. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I know exactly what you're saying with this. It's because they do this so often here, and there's no reason why we could we we should not say that we we hope that this person uh, reconciled their lives and that uh, we we pray for their families as well. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and because most often the families of those people are just as much a victim of what happened uh, there, you know, and, um, and, and it just, I I, I don't, we've lost, and I, maybe we never had it. Maybe it's just an ideal that's in my head that we had some point had this compassion or, or, you know, empathy for people. uh, And maybe we just never did. And, you know, and, and, and it's just more stark, at this point, but you know, the way we conduct ourselves in a lot of situations is just deplorable. Um, and you know, and, and I just, I, but going back to Steve Marshall, Mm -hmm. I I think he does exactly what those people have done too. Um, and, and it's all, it's all such a show. It's all such a, you know, the, from the press releases about Biden or the press releases about, you know, standing up for Trump stuff or, you know, it's while there are these things going on, the, the Brookside situation, for example, mm-hmm. that was, it was going on for years and nothing. They didn't piss a drop over that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the situation down at Pritchard was reported years ago. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, yeah. you know, and, and so. You know, what do you do? We watched the the uh, the trial up here in Limestone County of, uh, uh, you know, uh, of the sheriff uh, up here. And 
you know, they got a conviction out of that, but nobody would say that thing was anything but an absolute train wreck of a trial in which they tried to trick the the judge and everybody else about a witness there. And mm. it was just, you know, those sorts of things. They had had a case in Selma. I'll, I'll write about this pretty soon. Uh, they had a case in Selma uh, against some police officers that was stealing uh, guns out of the evidence lockers over there. Wow. They couldn't wow. bring it because they screwed up the grand jury indictment. Mm. So that's what I'm saying. There are so many things that have ha- that are happening there in that office, and there's so many good things that could be done. And mm-hmm. instead, we get this pandering nonsense constantly, uh, and we get something. We all decided on this these rules for pardons and paroles. This was this is not a surprise to anybody. Nobody's right. wanting uh, you know harmful criminals to be let out of uh, out of prison a, a month or two into their sentence or anything else, you know. But it, we all decided on these rules. Follow the damn rules, or explain why you're not. That's mm-hmm. the only thing Chris England's bill does. And if you can't get behind that, then you just don't care about the law or anything else. And the only thing you care about is a little R beside somebody's name. That's you know. I, yeah. yeah, no argument here, brother. Yeah, I know. no argument here. Yeah. Um, our right, right wing nut of mm-hmm. the week, uh, Lauren <laughs> Bobert. <laughs> you know, did you see the pictures of her and Marjorie Taylor Greene at the State of the Union? I did not see the pictures of them, but I certainly watched the State of the Union and I heard the disruption. Yeah. I heard the disruption. Yeah, yeah. I was her screaming out about, uh, you know, when he talked about, uh, you know, dead soldiers. Uh, Joe Biden talked about dead soldiers. Uh, she screamed out something about you killed them or you put them in the coffin. Uh, he was he was actually discussing you know receiving the the flag draped coffins, mm-hmm. uh, and, and she screamed something out about uh, you put them in there. You know it's just just so stupid. Uh, yeah. Well, this was this was uh, you know. I mean, she's following the, the great tradition that was started by, what was that guy's name? Uh, Wilson. Who did it to Obama. Was it Joe Wilson? Was that his name? Yeah, I, I want to say that's right. Joe something. Yeah. Wilson or something. You know. Uh, you lie. The lack, the lack, yeah, just the, the whole, I mean, just the lack of class, man. You know, just a complete lack of class, lack of decorum. But then, but then Marjorie Taylor Greene basically is uh, is wasting taxpayer dollars. And I'm not saying that because she's a right wing nut. I'm saying that because she literally has no no job responsibilities, as I understand <laughs> it. She's she's not on any committees. She's not on any yep. congressional committees. So she's because of her previous acts, her own party. Mm-hmm. And sanctioned her in that way, so she's just kind of up there, yeah. And and I and I don't I don't really ever get a sense of like what is she doing other yeah. than just being a troll. What is she doing up there? Just uh, setting up her spot as a host on Newsmax for when she gets voted out. Yeah. Uh, and and you're right, and essentially being a troll. She's a, she's basically a troll under a bridge at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, she just sits in, uh, just does and says crazy things and sits around harassing people. Um, yeah, it just it's I, I don't I don't understand how we got to this point where you've elected those two people. 
you know, or Paul Gozer or, you know, I don't, hell, I don't understand how we elected Mo Brooks or Tommy Tuberville either. But <laughs> I mean, Tommy Tuberville talking about you know, we're going into Russia, Russia's going into Ukraine to farm. You know, I mean, what are you talking <laughs> What in the hell? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I was, uh, Tommy, yeah. come on, man. You can just say I don't want to talk about it. You know, yeah, he's run out of farmland. He's trying to feed his people. That ain't, what are you talking about? He he needs uh, to have somebody by his side. <laughs> that, yeah, that has a button. Yeah, yeah. That's a, Some, like, he should wear a something. shock collar is what he should do. And they should just be able to shock him when he starts talking so he can't it's, speak. It's, uh. it's, you know, some of the things he has said are just pretty, are, are kind of bizarre. And then there's sometimes that he said some things and we're like, you know what? That's uh that's not a bad point. So, I know. I mean, you know, I know it's, it's just... kind of hard to understand like the, this weird. He's got to find of... his lane. He's got to yeah. find his lane and just it's stay in weird. it. You know, and there, listen, there was a great, there was a great uh, column written about Tommy Tuberville and how he's, uh, you know, he was basically sent up there to do exactly what he's doing, which is to do nothing at all, and and you know, and, and talk to major donors on the telephone every now and then, and 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 tell football stories. Uh, but it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, that's all anybody asked out of him, and it just just keep your mouth shut. That's all anybody says. You know, just just shut up and let it go. And yeah, but he can't do it. Just pass the daylight savings bill and get out of there. You know, that's all I care about, man. The one bill we agree on. Get out of there. Pass it and get out. Uh, which, speaking of getting out, let's get our asses out of here. Hey, um, good idea. Good idea. Yeah. Start the weekend, man. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>